Well, good morning once again. It is good to be back out here. I must admit, uh, as Adriana was giving those announcements, I was feeling a little bit envious. One of the churches that I served was uh, located in Manhattan Beach, California. Uh, when I discovered that there was a group of people uh, who had been playing volleyball on Manhattan Beach for 30 years every Monday morning, I thought, oh, I'm all into this. And uh, Cindy and I would enjoy that. Of course, the deal was all of them were over 70. <laughs> we had the young legs, and so we'd chase all the balls that would uh, get away and so on. But they had to retrain me to play volleyball the right way. You, do you realize Manhattan Beach, California is where the whole idea of beach volleyball started? The sand is just, oh, it's just beautiful. I, I would dive to get some of those balls and so on. It, would, it didn't hurt at all. So much fun. So I see this announcement, I'm thinking, oh, dear Lord, I would love to be out there with everybody. You all have a good time because I am quite, quite envious of what uh, you're getting to do there. It is good to be back with you and I ask now that you would join me as we pray together for the preaching of the Word of God. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> there are many, many prophecies in all of the Old Testament which foretell the coming of the Messiah. One of the most beloved and quoted of these Hebrew scriptures is the one from Isaiah chapter 9. You'll recognize it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. However, when this Savior begins to train the 12 men he chose to help him announce the coming of the kingdom of God, he warns them to be ready for conflict, not peace. Prepare to have your world rocked by what this Prince of Peace tells his closest disciples. From the Gospel of Matthew, we hear him say, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is like a politician running for office who proclaims, I'm a divider, not a uniter. How many votes do you think he'd get with that speech, of course? But these are Jesus' own words. We cannot avoid them, nor can we ignore them. And if you trust him deeply with your life, now and for eternity, then these words won't trouble you so much as they'll perplex you. I've not come to bring peace to the earth, but to divide people. 
Today, we will look at a passage that confirms what Jesus means when he says he's a divider, not a uniter. It confirms that Jesus' intrusion into human history was extremely divisive because the reason Jesus came to earth was to usher in his kingdom, a new world order, which would divide people into one of two groups between kingdom insiders and kingdom outsiders. Follow along with me as I read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and his teaching, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now we'll continue with the rest of this passage as we go through its explanation. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to that passage, if you wish, so that you can uh, look at these verses individually as we continue to go over what on earth Jesus was talking about here with this parable. The first thing we learn from this passage is that the kingdom of God, which Jesus has come to announce, divides the human race into insiders and outsiders, between those who embrace his kingship and those who reject it. We can be sure that this is what Jesus intended because he taught this throughout his earthly ministry. His teachings confirm it, his parables confirm it, and the reaction of outsiders to what he taught confirms that dividing people was central to his teaching. The teachings, first the teachings and sermons confirm that Jesus came to divide. Matthew's gospel records that early in Jesus' ministry, he sent his 12 disciples throughout Israel two by two to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here are the instructions he gave them. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. At the end of his earthly ministry, just a few days before he was arrested, beaten, and crucified, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them more about the kingdom of God. And one of the many things he told them was this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, 
he, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then he, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, into eternal life. Jesus was a divider. And his teachings confirm it. Even further, his parables confirm it. Jesus frequently taught with parables. You know parables. They're stories that have a way of making a teaching both clear and unforgettable. And in the hands of Jesus, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. After telling a parable, Jesus often used the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Many times, after Jesus delivered a teaching as a parable, everyone understood the earthly part, but the heavenly meaning went right over their heads. Many times it was Jesus' own disciples who had to ask him to explain the parable, just as they did with the passage that we're considering today. What did Jesus tell them? To you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but it is not for those outside. You are insiders. They are outsiders. Jesus was a divider. He intended to divide people. This insider-outsider theme is further confirmed by Jesus' own explanation of this parable to his disciples. So look back at our text in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? These 12 Jewish men had been raised on the wisdom found in the book of the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. Yet even though they are slow to understand the meaning of the parable, Jesus, by choosing to explain it to them, is saying, I have called you to be part of my kingdom, so I'll let you in on the secret. And so Jesus uses a parable to illustrate the division he has brought into the world by announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. That's when his disciples discover, and we along with them, the meaning behind the parable, a parable that frankly is never clear to anyone the first time they hear it. It, is, it only becomes clear after we read Jesus' explanation. That's when this parable comes alive. And that's why Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. Let's look back at our text, verse 14. The sower, explains Jesus, sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You know, let me first explain a personal misconception about this parable that puzzled me for years. Have you ever planted a garden? When I was 10 years old, I planted my first garden. Cleared out a large tract of land, at least it was large to a 10-year-old, in my backyard. 
and I followed the instructions on each packet of seeds. I tried hard not to lose a single seed because I wanted to plant each one carefully. I wanted each seed to produce uh, the cucumbers or carrots or corn that I had planted there. So I was always perplexed that this sower would just throw seeds anywhere. And that's why for many years, whenever I would read this parable, one of my reactions was to think, what a sloppy farmer. <laughs> that's not the way farmers are supposed to plant their seed. That, probably not even around here. <laughs> then some 30 years ago, I was invited on a trip to Israel. And while traveling on the tour bus in the Galilean countryside, we drove through a farming community where small fields were surrounded by fences of black, flat stone that had been roughly piled and stacked on one another into four-foot-high walls. Well, where did all these rocks come from to make those fences, I asked our tour guide. And he explained that the ground here was very rocky and that the rocks we saw had been dug out of the ground to make the soil suitable for growing grain. In some areas, he said, <clears throat> sowing is still done by hand. Um, a farmer still has to till the soil, but he leaves hard-packed pathways so that he can walk through the field as he throws the seed into upturned ground. <clears throat> well, there was my answer. The sower in this parable wasn't being sloppy. It's just another type of farming. So this is the method of farming that we see in the parable that Jesus uses here to describe the divisions among people in the world in which we live even today. Each type of soil is a word picture of a human heart's response to the word of God, announcing the arrival of the kingdom and his kingship over them. Many who heard Jesus teach in person were astounded by his wisdom and his wondrous miracles, but they were confused by his outrageous claims. Some heard his teachings, witnessed his miracles, and became convinced he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Still others were incensed by the authority in his teaching and saw him as a threat to their way of life. In the parable before us today, Jesus divides all people into two groups based solely on their reaction to his teaching. He identifies four types of responses that people have to his teaching and compares their reaction to types of soil unto which a farmer throws seed. Seed which the farmer expects will take root, grow, and produce a crop. God's word gives us understanding and wisdom by connecting these four different types of responses to Jesus' claim that he is the sovereign whom they should welcome and obey. He explains that each person will respond to his teaching in one of three ways. Some will seek to demonize Jesus' mission. Some will seek to divert Jesus' mission. And some will seek to be swept up in his mission. First, some respond by Jesus to Jesus by seeking to demonize his mission. Back to verse 14 again. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. When 
Luke writes of this parable in his gospel, he adds uh, and quotes more of what Jesus said with this. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is the first soil, the hard-packed soil, which corresponds to resistant hearts. In our American culture over the last few years, the voices of resistant hearts have gained newfound dominance. Their reaction to the gospel and to those who embrace the Bible's moral code is one of growing hostility. In a brazen attempt to reject Jesus as their king, they demonize his followers, just as the powerful people of Jesus' day accused him of being empowered by demons. John Calvin wrote of resistant hearts 400 years ago. He wrote, not only does the gospel give great offense, but Satan powerfully excites his followers to raise a dislike of instruction on the pretense of it not being merely useless, but even injurious, that the gospel renders men more obstinate and leads to their destruction. Hard-packed soil, like hard-packed hearts, responds to the word of God with hatred. Secondly, some hearts respond to Jesus by seeking to divert his mission. Actually, the next two soils fit this category, and the first of these is the rocky soil. Back to verse 16. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Of the two human responses to the gospel, which seeks to divert the mission of Jesus, the first is the response of an impulsive heart, which gives in to fear, the fear of what will be lost if they continue to follow Jesus when times get tough. For the rocky soil, the word of God has a temporary influence, but eventually it gives way to peer pressure, the threat of what other people will think of them. Now, back in my day, and I am finally old enough to say back in the day, persecution amounted mostly to simple ridicule. Ridicule could cause a Christian to eventually give way to peer pressure. What other people think? Today, it's a different story. Today, persecution for standing your ground as a principled Christian can result in serious loss. Persecution is still a matter of other people's reaction to your Christian principles. However, today, persecution can result in the cancellation of a job, the cancellation of freedoms, even the loss of life. The impulsive heart gives into fear of what will be lost if they continue to follow Jesus. Back to our text, verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the, wor the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The second of these two human responses to the gospel which seeks to divert the mission of Jesus is the response of a preoccupied heart 
which enslaves people to their own lusts, a lust for something which each one chooses to treasure more than Jesus. Luke's gospel also quotes more of Jesus' explanation to his disciples. They are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. New York Times columnist Russ Duthat, in his book, Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics, makes this observation, which I would like to quote at length. The United States, he says, remains a deeply religious country, and most Americans are still drawing some water from the Christian well. But a growing number are inventing their own versions of what Christianity means, abandoning the nuances of traditional theology in favor of religions that stroke their egos and indulge or even celebrate their worst impulses. As a result, the Jesus of the New Testament has been replaced in the hearts and minds of many Americans with a more congenial figure, a choose-your-own Jesus who better fits their preconceptions of what a Savior should and shouldn't be. In this America, too, he continues, the Christian teaching that every human soul is unique and precious has been stressed by the prophets of self-fulfillment and the gurus of self-love at the expense of the equally important teaching that every human soul is fatally corrupted by original sin. Absent that latter emphasis, religion becomes a license for egotism and selfishness, easily employed to justify what used to be considered deadly sins. The result is a society where pride becomes healthy self-esteem, vanity becomes self-improvement, adultery becomes following your heart, greed and gluttony become living the American dream. As I see it, there is little more difference today, there's little difference today between the methods of self-help motivational speaker Tony Robbins and the messages of televangelist Joel Osteen. Robbins, in his Unleash the Power Within seminar, says that happiness and success in life are not the result of what we have, but rather how we live. What we do with the things we have makes the biggest difference in the quality of life. In Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential, Joel Osteen explains that he tries to teach biblical principles emphasizing the power of love and a positive attitude. Both the minister and the self-help guru see prosperity as the ultimate aspiration of life. Both of them look toward that goal. But earthly prosperity is not the goal of Jesus' mission. Jesus came not to create heaven on earth, but to redeem rebels and to prepare us for heaven. The preoccupied part, the heart of the weed-filled soil eventually gives way to lust. Lust for something that it treasures more than Jesus. The gospel, the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God, is compared in this parable to a seed that when planted properly will grow and produce a harvest of good and righteous things. 
So far, Jesus' explanation of the parable has touched on three soils. The hard-packed soil, the rocky soil, and the weed-filled soil. These respond to the seed of the gospel either by seeking to demonize Jesus' mission or by seeking to divert his mission. But lastly, some hearts respond to the seed of the word of God by seeking to be swept up into Jesus' mission. This is the fourth type of soil, the good soil. Back to verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. You are here today by divine appointment. Now, maybe it seems odd to you that I would make that assertion that you are here by a divine appointment because you know the decisions you made to get here today. But if you place any credibility at all in what the Word of God says, you must take seriously its many, many declarations that just as the sovereign God <clears throat> put billions of stars into precise orbits, just as he holds the universe together at a subatomic scale, just so he has directed the details of your life in such a way that you would be here to hear the word, this word of God declared to you today for your sake. It could be God is drawing you nearer to him, into his kingdom. And that's why you need to embrace more deeply your identity as an insider in the kingdom of God. This is why the passage insists that you assess yourself, that you make take a, a realistic look to determine on which side of the divide you stand. Another way to put it is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Three things I believe you must understand. First, that Jesus came to establish his kingdom in the lives of hearers. This parable, my friends, is not a license to judge others. This parable is not about other people, it's about you. What's the condition of your soil? What kind of crop is your heart producing? This parable is about you and how you receive the seed of the gospel. Jesus came to establish his kingdom in the lives of hearers. So how have you received the word of God into your own soul? Jesus said, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The Lord Jesus came to set up home in your heart through the Holy Spirit. The question you must ask yourself today is, what have I done with the seed of the word of God that came to me? Have I rejected it outright? Did I receive it, but then backed away out of fear over what I might lose? Maybe I received it with joy, but I've since been drawn away by my love for other things. My great hope for you is that you receive the seed of the word of God 
and embraced it and allowed it to take root deeper and deeper into the soil of your soul. The Word of God challenges you today. Is your heart hardened because God has disappointed you? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. Let him in. Let him soothe your anger and restore you to peace with your heavenly Father. Is the soil of your heart filled with stones of fear? Are you fearful that your trust in God may put you in the crosshairs of affliction or even persecution and loss? Don't go down that path. What have you really gained if you reap all that the world has to offer? Preaching to a crowd one day, Jesus called out to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let the Savior come in and remove those rocks and even use them to build a fence around your heart to guard it. Is your heart infested with the weeds of desires for the good things of this world which demand that you sacrifice everything? They cannot satisfy your soul. For you were created with a God-shaped vacuum that can be satisfied by him alone. There's another possibility for those who are earnestly seeking to follow Christ. Maybe you feel bashful or even ashamed that your life isn't producing enough of a harvest of good things for God's kingdom. Then hear this and be encouraged. The very fact that you are listening Believing God, obeying God, expecting God to change you is the evidence that you are an insider. So rejoice. Insiders have been given ears to hear. And Jesus says, if you hear his word, then rejoice and act on it. Jesus told his disciples, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. That's step number one. Let the Lord Jesus set up home in your heart and grow you into a citizen of his kingdom. Secondly, embrace the gospel of the kingdom. Submit yourself to be taught by Jesus. Psalm 119 says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. The disciples didn't just get it. They had to be taught it. Spiritual understanding isn't merely downloaded into your brain like Neo in the Matrix. I know jujitsu. You don't assimilate spiritual insight instantly and have all knowledge. You assimilate it over time through teaching. You get it because you spend time with Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit teach you 
to understand God's word more and more. So submit yourself to the means of grace that the Spirit utilizes in your life. Preachers, teachers, and counselors through whom he teaches you in books and recordings and and face-to-face. One of God's earliest commands to his people puts it this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Do you remember the story of two followers of Jesus who met him as they walked seven miles to their home in the town of Emmaus on Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday? Reliable scholars conclude that this couple was a man named Cleopas and his wife Mary, the parents of one of Jesus' disciples, James the Lesser, or if you've been watching the series on Jesus' life entitled The Chosen, that would be Little James. This couple, making the long walk home, is discussing the events of the crucifixion and that Jesus' tomb was found empty that very morning. Jesus comes up alongside them but pretends not to know anything. Cleopas says something like, well, you must be a visitor to Jerusalem because everyone knows that our rulers killed the man that we thought would be our Messiah, and now his body's gone missing. Then something remarkable happens. Jesus chides them, saying, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. They invited Jesus to stay for dinner. But when he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to them, the scripture says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Then they turned to each other. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh, my friends, there is nothing quite like the feeling of your soul warming to the excitement of some new understanding of the scripture. God has revealed himself to you. And it's only the beginning. Jesus explained what was to happen to uh, to his disciples, what was to happen after he left them. He said, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's step two. Submit yourself to be taught by Jesus. If you don't spend time learning from him, and you can't understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, and and you'll lose all the encouragement they have to offer in a world that's divided against you. Because you belong to Jesus, and they hate it. Thirdly, you need to get swept up into Jesus' mission. What is his mission? Jesus simplified it in this way. The Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. The pattern we find in today's parable of the four soils shows us how he expects this to happen. One seed of the gospel takes root in your heart. That one seed of the gospel then multiplies exponentially 
And then as you go through life spreading the seeds of the gospel that your life produces through word and deed, you are continuing the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry of announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to bring people who are outsiders into the kingdom of God. Now, Almighty God had to snap his fingers and make it all happen, but he has chosen to be glorified by working through his servants, through us. Remember, this is your calling, to serve as an ambassador to the kingdom to those who have not been given ears to hear. Some of them who are very dear to you, but who cannot hear. Plead patiently with the king for their souls to draw them into the kingdom. As I step down from your pulpit, I close with the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel before they entered the promised land. These are the words God gave to Moses. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. God our Father, you your words. No one else has the words of life. To who else would we go? I pray that your seed will take deeper and deeper root in us, that without even realizing it, our hearts would produce more and more seed. And without even thinking about it, we would be spreading that seed through our words and our deeds. That maybe even someday, people would, someone would look at us and say, you know, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus. Help us, dear Father. We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. May Jesus be seen in us, and may glory be given to you, praises from insiders and outsiders who recognize this person has been Jesus. Let that be our reputation, I pray. For this we ask in the name of the Lord, our Savior.